Welcome to How I Lawyer, a podcast where I talk to attorneys from throughout the profession about what they do, why they do it, and how they do it well. I'm your host, Jonah Perlin, a law professor in Washington, D.C. This episode is sponsored, edited, and engineered by my friends at Law Pods. Law Pods is a professional podcast production company focused solely on attorney podcasting. I absolutely love working with them, and if you're considering becoming a legal podcaster or just want to learn more, check them out at lawpods.com. And now, let's get started. Hello and welcome back. In today's episode, I'm so excited to speak with lawyer and HR leader Ashley Hurd, who's the founder and CEO of Manager Method, where she helps employers and employees through training, coaching, and tools that are engaging and actionable. Previously, she was the SVP of People and Legal at Modern Luxury, an associate general counsel at McKinsey, a legal director at Yum Foods, as well as an in-house counsel at several other companies, and before that, an employment lawyer at several private law firms. You may have seen Ashley on LinkedIn or probably more likely TikTok, where she has more than 110,000 followers, although I'm sure that number just skyrockets every day, uh, where she produces fun and interesting videos to teach people about HR and legal issues. She's a graduate of Emory Law, Go Eagles, and Center College, Go Praying Colonials. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you, Jenna. Delighted to be here. Awesome. Well, look, let's just start by talking a little bit about your path to the law. So when did you decide to become a lawyer? What was that? moment or moments where this profession sort of sang to you? Well, I didn't think we'd get cringy so quickly, but um, when I was 10, I was at the Kentucky State Fair, and I was probably the only kid that did this, but they had a booth where you could make a little sheriff's badge. I think it was a necklace. And I made one that said, Ashley Vinsel is my maiden name, Ashley Vinsel Corporate Lawyer. Now, where I got the idea for that, I think it was some kind of greed is good. Gordon Gecko wasn't a lawyer, but it must have been something like that. Where, because there were no lawyers in my family whatsoever, but I had a dead set as a child of 80s movies that I would be a lawyer one day. And so from that badge to the law, law school dean's uh, hands, I willed it into action. That's amazing. And I'm surprised. And that was all before TikTok and LinkedIn even existed, I imagine, too. Well before. Well before. I'll say no more. Yeah. I mean, I'm always interested, right? Like, How do kids even get this idea that they want to be lawyers And corporate lawyer, no less. I think that's even more fascinating. I think, you know, I have young kids and I often think people say, oh, you're good at arguing, become a lawyer, which I think sort of misplays both the child and the profession a little bit. But I think that's great that you had it at such a young age. But then tell me a little bit about the path to doing employment issues and and eventually transitioning more into the HR and in-house space. So in college, so Center College is a liberal arts school, fantastic. I was an international studies and Spanish major, but I wanted to thicken my skin, I'd say, a little bit before I took on that corporate lawyer path. So I always had the idea that I I would do something professionally and go to law school after two years. So I ended up working for a company called CEB, now Gartner out of DC. And so I moved to DC and was cold calling CFOs. Uh, I did well at that. It was as, um, as interesting as, as it can. One a story for another day is when we had to cold, we got, got to cold call the Trump organization, which is very interesting, but it thickens your skin. And I knew nothing about business. So I got subscriptions to fortune and all those things and became obsessed with learning. So I got promoted in the second year, ended up going around the country, working on the pro- uh, research or membership for chief human resources officers. At the time, uh, CEB uh, was doing research on employee engagement. I loved it so much. And so as I was going to law school, some of the CHROs I would meet with would say, you should go into employment law. You'll never be at a loss for work. I took that at their word. And so um, in law school, 
my first year did fine, wasn't really passionate about it. But my second year was able to start taking electives. And I took every labor employment type of course I could. And, and I did the, those are the best courses I did. In, and I just absolutely fell in love with it and, and went into the path from there. Cool. Yeah. I guess my question, one follow-up to that is you really found your passion in some ways before law school by doing something before law school. And I think the recommendation now and the recommendation I give to sort of college students who reach out to me is if you can get a little experience before you go to law school, it'll make you a better law student. It'll make you a better lawyer. It'll help you make a little money, all of those good things. Is that the same advice you would give to somebody who's thinking, you know, I might want to go to law school someday. I could apply right through, or maybe I should take some time off. What do you think about that? I do. I think having it, and you can have different paths. Some people go and be a paralegal at a big law firm. I think that's great. Some of those people go on to big law. Some of those people think I will never step foot in big law again voluntarily. I worked in corporate America. That helped me immensely when I went in-house because as I worked as a salesperson, I understand so much when I deal legal and HR with the different pressures people have in sales. So I think it's always helped me and helped me have a sense of the world and things like managing money, all those sorts of things that I'd love to say I I did in college, but not really when you have a, I had my little dining card and made enough money each month to like have my cell phone bill and, and pay my own expenses. But I kept those to a minimum. And so I do think so. And I think to the point that I did not have any lawyers in my family growing up, my mother would say that. And my mother actually went to law school in her fifties. Uh, I won't say more than that. And so now there are two lawyers in the family. And so she took a plenty of time off beforehand and worked in, and I think both of us would say the same thing. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, maybe someday we'll get her on how I lawyer and get <laughs> to hear about her story. She's got a good one. Yeah. I guess my, the other follow-up is sort of what drew you to sort of, you know, I think a lot of people experience corporate America and like run the other way they experience HR and they run the other way. What drew you to sort of the inner workings, which is sort of how I think about it, of businesses and and how they operate? I mean, I probably should have a broader answer, but I'll say this. I love celebrity gossip. I used to have a lot more time for it before I had kids. And I remember sitting down as a summer associate and going through my first, I'd write a motion for summary judgment. Like I had a real summer associate experience where I actually had to do real work. And I was going through a deposition and it was a, a sexual harassment case. And I remember reading it and thinking, I can cancel my subscription to Us Weekly because this is this is really quite it. And so I've always been fascinated by, by people dynamics, but at the same point, having having worked in corporate America and seen it, I saw a lot of times how disputes can arise and being really interested. It was good to have that litigation experience because I did do a lot of employment litigation. It was helpful to have, but mostly so that I could do what I really enjoy, which is helping people to, to avoid it and do more of that, that counseling. I've always been an extrovert and like people interactions. And so it was a much more natural place to me than tax or corporate or uh, any of the the West laws of the world. Sure. And I guess the natural follow-up to that is one that I think, you know, is really interesting. You know, you talked about how employment law is not something that we cover in the first year of law school. And I think there is a real difference between employment litigation and employment HR, but for someone who is, has no idea about those two differences, having practiced in both, could you kind of give a Cliff's notes on the differences and also who tends to be better at one or the other? Employment. So if you think of employment litigation versus employment counseling. So litigation is where there's a dispute and something has happened and either someone thinks their pay is wrong or they should be classified differently in pay or something's happened and someone feels discriminated against, or they were subject to harassment. In some way, someone has felt wronged in the workplace, and they are filing a charge, basically filing a lawsuit, we'll say, against their employer. And so it's at the point where there is conflict. They may have a lawyer, they may not. 
but that's way past the point of, of general communication. And so at that point in time, what I did was always management side. So I was always defending the company. In the United States, defending the company is much easier from a legal perspective than in the rest of the world, because the, in the, the power dynamics at work, where the law is, it is incredibly difficult to bring, uh, especially a type of discrimination or harassment, especially harassment type suit. The case law is really heavy in, in favor of, of employers. And at times, it doesn't sit right with you. So if you're a person that at the end of the day, if, you're, if you really are, all, are about winning and more competitive in that aspect, then I do think litigation is a better place. Because when you look at the statistics, employers, and I don't have them in front of me, but generally when you're, you're not getting to a jury frequently, no matter what happens, you can read the most salacious things and the employer still wins just based on where the law is in the United States, especially kind of the harassment realm. But counseling is, I'd say for those of us that have a bright, shiny soul and, and but the, the, where it just, it doesn't sit right as much. And you really are interested in the care and nurture of people. And I say it because as, in as much as that sounds coming off like fluff, it also is that litigation avoid, it, avoidance. And so it ends up saving money in the end. But for people that like to mediate those disputes between friends and say, guys, can't we all get along? That type of person, I think, is more in counseling because oftentimes the way I describe it to my children, their kids' classes when I've gone to Community Helpers Day, is I help people figure out what the rules are and to work within the rules. But I've always brought in my approach, not just this is this is what you can't do and can't do, but seeing around the corner, this is what will happen. And this is how someone might feel if you say it this way. So if you like that kind of creative bent, like I did playwriting in high school. Bent is much more for counseling than than the more black and white of litigation. That's great. I mean, I've I've interviewed a bunch of litigators. I was a former litigator. I've also introduced interviewed a bunch of corporate lawyers, a bunch of regulatory lawyers. And it's interesting that I think we kind of track people sometimes into litigation because that's sort of where the law school curriculum is. I mean, that's what I do for a living. Plus, I think we're tracked going back to that point about, you know, wearing your badge at the at the county fair. We say, oh, you're good at arguing, be a lawyer. That's like saying you're good at arguing, be part of our profession as a litigator. And what I love hearing about transactional lawyers, and candidly, I never thought I could be one or a litig or an employment counselor, is this idea of it's not a zero sum game. You're actually trying to like solve problems before they happen communally. Is that accurate? I, that, that is a perfect way to put it. If I could have that cross-stitched and sell it on Etsy, all the employment <laughs> counselors of the world and probably the deal, the deal lawyers as well would, would all, that'd be a bestseller, Jonah. I love it. I love it. Well, maybe we'll add it to the uh, How I Lawyer marketplace. It's there now. So I guess the other question I have is sort of how, what your day looks like, right? And you've had a bunch of different roles that I talked about in the introduction. You know, you've worked in-house, uh, you've worked obviously, uh, what you're doing now, what is the day-to-day -day life? Like, who are you talking to? Are you just like reading a bunch of things and preparing a bunch of handbooks? Like what do HR's lawyers really do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. Some of mine, I say that because it makes sounds like I'm, you know, hop jumping around. We've moved a lot geographically. So with that, people have professional moves. I have, I love the phrase portfolio career. So my portfolio quilt of a career, but where I am now is a, is a little un unusual. If you're in a law firm and you're doing kind of counseling, then a lot of times with clients, you may be doing trainings. You're probably pretty much split between doing proactive trainings, which take time to prepare, and then doing the one-off questions of like, this person just did this, but this person seems drunk at work. I mean, those are the real-time, the very real-time type questions. And I'd say that actually, because you may not be getting that in a law firm. In a law firm, you often have time to think about it. In-house, you may be getting the call of, I think this person's drunk. What do I do right now? All the stuff that doesn't bubble up to outside counsel, but you have to figure out like a wizard. 
where I am now is a bit interesting because I kind of have three t- full-time jobs in a way. And this is how I've, I've set my career up. So I'm actually still general counsel uh, for, for a prior company. I do it through, through, through my company now. And so I'm dealing day in, day out with a lot of the things I have for over a decade. Every spectrum from employment law to, to IP to, to corporate work. And so I, I, I keep that. So it keeps my brain going. I'm doing employment law for about six, seven companies. It depends. Six months ago, it was a lot more about performance management proactive trainings because we're hiring all these new people with the great resignation. We have new people coming on. How do we keep people? It's flipped. Now a lot of it is layoff, layoff, layoff. And so I'm seeing a lot of those trends come through for the um, employment side. And then the third is I've created this kind of, you know, the content creation. So I've created this TikTok or I actually now create these trainings and things like that, like I, that I do on, on my own through my business. So that's, so my day is a blend of whack-a-mole with those three. Awesome. Well, I do want to get to the the content creation part, but we're going to put a pin in that for a second. I mean, I do want to hear a little bit more about what it's like to be the lawyer responsible for HR issues, whether you're sort of a person in a business for, you know, working for a small business or you're part of a big team. It sounds like anything could come to your desk, right? From someone shows up drunk to drunk to work or someone wants to quit or someone said something that they probably shouldn't have, or someone said something that they were totally in their rights to say, but somebody's not happy about it. Like, do those just come in on the phone by email? And how do you answer those questions on the fly? Like, I guess to put it in law school terms, like how do you issue spot? And then how do you sort of solve the issues that you do spot? I've come a long way in that now I feel pretty comfortable. That being said, about every week something comes. I'm like, I've never heard that one before. And that is really surprising. But it ranges. There's certain things that are broader, like a big project of, okay, legally, we're looking at how we classify a group of employees. Are they properly classified as exempt or not exempt? That doesn't happen as much when people don't have as much time on their hands to think about these issues. And that's a little bit more whackable. But it is. I mean, it's everything for me. Think of the challenges of like, a disability accommodation. Like you read these things. Oh, someone has a disability. Great. You have what's called an interactive process. People don't know what to do on the ground. They often know. And I tell people the biggest training I give to managers, anyone is whenever you're in doubt, come find me. And so, and I tell people, call me, do not CC the employee on that. Do not do that. And I say that for two reasons. One is sure attorney client privilege, but put that to the side. It's weird. If you're talking to an employee as a manager and you're like, I don't know what that is. That's fine. You tell people, let me think on that. Let me check internally. You don't need to tell someone, oh, let me go ask our lawyer what we will do. Because an employee is <laughs> like, but I thought this is a simple question. Like, what do I possibly do? And so I have found over time, I've developed a lot of relationships where I am more of the thought partner and things that may not necessarily be Westlaw type things. Like a very, because I say my job is helping people solve their most pressing issue that is right now. Sometimes that issue literally is a situation of we've had this concern come in. How do we address this? And sometimes it's, who do we kick out of the employee parking lot because we don't have enough spots and you're a bad cop. So we need to blame someone to make the decision. And I tell people, you can always blame, you know, if we're at the point and you need a bad cop, I'm generally fine being bad cop, but I try, I do try to be good. So what I have liked and it has really helped me to have this HR bent is that I truly do care about people and the right result. And so, and, and I found my voice. I, I do videos in this sometimes about how it took me a long time to find my voice and push back on people. And I don't frame it in that way. But if someone's having a performance issue, we need to terminate this person. I am not the type. And and probably 10 years ago, I was the type that would say, okay, okay, you know, okay, because I I didn't know how to articulate that. And I cared more about, okay, how do we make sure they have their final paycheck and, you know, all the legal aspects. But over time, you realize, well, hold on a second. 
also whether regardless of what someone's claim might be, they're going to be more likely if they feel like they're treated unfair. So it's okay. Walk me through it. Tell me what you said. And people all the time will say, I can send you a hundred emails. And having gone on the litigation side through, through mock juries in particular and gotten their feedback. Another aspect, it's weird. If you tell someone I have a hundred emails, let's say you get down to a jury one day, you will not look like the good guy or gal. You will look terrible like you have it out for someone. And I find ways to tell people that because I say, I'm going to save you from yourself. It is important to have a clear conversation. And you do that because my North Star at the end of the day is every employee is a walking billboard, no matter how long they're an employee, how, what goes on, what message that they send. And they are going to send one to everybody else. And whether they file a legal action or not is based on how you treat them. So even if they're not a performer, it's not the right job. Think of them like a human and how you would truly want to be treated. And let's work from that place and make sure we're there. Because oftentimes I walk away, we walk away from the conversation, not the path that they intended, that quick termination, or I'm going to put someone on a performance plan today. No, let's let's have that conversation first. Is it hard to tell somebody something they don't want to hear? I mean, I, you know, as a litigator, my job was to tell the judge what I thought he or she wanted to hear. And it sounds like in your in your role and in, in people who do what you do, part of your job is sort of giving bad news. How do you approach that? It sometimes it depends on who you're talking to. Like if, if you're talking to someone that has control over whether you have a paycheck or not, I can understand fully why people feel like they can't push back. No matter who I'm working with, no matter if it's an executive, where they are on the corporate ladder, or if it's even if it's a like a new client company I'm working with, I tell people up front, in my job, the way I work is I will tell you things and I'll give you feedback. And I'm not doing my job if I don't but I want to meet you where you are. So explain it in terms that make sense. Yeah, we can do that, but this is what's going to happen. And that's helped a lot because I think for, for a while, especially as I started out, I would say, well, you can't do that. Okay, well, I have my arms crossed for, for those that can't see me. But where I see people and I say, okay, well, if you do that, the rest of the team's going to see that. And that's ultimately not going to look good for you. And it's important for me to tell you things that are going to help. Whether people think I'm a softie or not, I truly care about each of the people I'm working with and whatever problem they're dealing with with the employee. And so I find that if you work to meet people where you are, it can be easier. And you can say things like, this is just doing my job, but if you do this, this is how it's going to turn out and it's not going to look good for you. And oftentimes someone's, whether it's ego or just they want, they want people at least to respect them. And so they do care about that. And especially for those individuals I've worked with for years and years, they know that I have a sieve and I really think about where I'm going to push back and not. I mean, at times I'll say, I'd probably do differently, but I, I also know we've, you know, we've seen this rodeo before. So if you want to do this, okay. And so I, I try to really build those relationships of trust as well. That's great. And I think the other question I have that I've, that I've heard from students is sort of where HR is legal and where HR is not legal. Like I think a lot of people experience HR on a day-to-day basis as someone who's not a lawyer, someone who's dealing with payroll or someone who's responsible for onboarding you. Where does the sort of line between HR professionals who are just HR professionals, and I don't mean just in a pejorative sense, but that's their job, versus HR professionals who are lawyers or need to be lawyers or need to at least have a legal background? Yeah, and I faced that 100%, especially when I was head of legal and people. I said people and legal. And I said that that was intentionally my title because I'm like, legal's always there, but people really should come first. And Sometimes I would visualize that. So people all the time will comment and say, HR is the worst. They're only there to protect the company. I'm like, no, they're not. Legal is. And so I'm like, I've been that. I've been legal before. But but HR really is a conduit. HR is, and I I say this as well, in any role, whether it's lawyers, HR, there's going to be terrible people. And when someone has a bad experience, you may have a bad IT person. You may just think, oh, they, they stink. They don't know what they're talking about. You have a bad experience with HR that can feel really personal and that can taint your entire experience with HR. So when people say 
HR is evil. I take from that you have had a very personal or someone that you love and that can feel awful. And, and it can often be at your, your toughest moments in life. So I will never argue with anybody about that. But HR really is a conduit. And a lot of HR's work is invisible because it's often trying to talk to the employee, get a sense and persuade things internally. HR's voice will only be as strong as the leadership. And a lot of leadership thinks HR is fluff. And, and so they, you can have all the recommendations in the world and HR can be you know, speaking for you. But if nothing happens, HR is often looked at as bad cop. So HR really is trying to find that, that solution. And that's why I really had that bent even before I started formally taking on HR duties. It really is trying to find the ways to make people feel, feel like they were treated fairly. The legal aspect, in a true legal sense, employment law is going within the realms of the law, which again, in the United States is heavily slanted for the company. I still say, no matter whether you're right or not, you're going to do better by having people feel like they were treated fairly and heard. But I, when I was both, would literally say to people, okay, well, I have, this is lawyer Ashley right now, so I'm going to use my serious voice in that, or I'd say, okay, this is, this is lawyer Ashley, I'd do this. Now I'm going to put out HR hat Ashley. And I would say that as a cue, but to, but to truly say where I was giving that advice and where things were coming from. And I actually think that's, that's necessary when you do wear those two hats, or if you're an HR professional that has that legal background, because sometimes you're, your lawyer self can creep in and it's important to tamp that down a little bit. Yeah. And I, what I really take from that answer also, which I think is true for a lot of the legal profession is the law is kind of the floor of what you need to do, but the best lawyers go way beyond the floor and think of the business case and think of the fact that, yes, I can tell you that if this lawsuit gets brought, we're going to win. That can't be our metric of success. And I think that's true. I've seen a lot of your TikTok and LinkedIn videos, and I feel a lot of that message coming across, which is like, even if we could do this, we shouldn't do this. And you try to sort of remind people to help, help that bigger picture. Is is that an accurate sort of articulation of what you do? Totally. Because, and I understand as a lawyer, it's really important to have, have guidelines and policies and there's a lot of consistency, but I say, when you're working with people, you have to have you have to have some heart and you have to be willing to change in things. Like one of the examples is when I did a video on like a bereavement policy. For years, I blessed as a lawyer handbooks that would have things like bereavement policy, you know, one day a year, two days a year, three days a year. Bereavement needs do not come so so conveniently by year. And people have these instances. And while you're you're certainly welcome to have that policy, nothing, nothing wrong with that necessarily from a legal perspective, maybe unless California's changing something as we speak, but is you're telling someone, I've had this loss. Well, you used it up. You know, your grandma passed a couple months ago. So now your, your, your partner or somebody else, or, well, this person who's very close to you doesn't fit within that definition. And so I think often what happens in the workplace is if there's a tolerance, once you're a manager, when, if you're in a corporate environment, people like, don't worry about it. Take the time, take the time, do what you need. But you have people that are often working hardest at the, the lower ends of the corporate ladder, so to speak, or in the field-based environments, and they're expected to fall within those lines. So it's, it's almost this kind of System, and I tell people when you think about the, the way that you think about those corporate or take the time, do those things, and having that trust that people will do that work, having that same type of attitude for every one of your employees can really have a lot of benefits because otherwise people are seeing that and it really feels unfair on the ground. Amazing. One of the other things that you shared with me when we when I was preparing for this interview was a little bit about your sort of personal travels, which you sort of mentioned. Uh, and you've been in not only different jobs, but different places, including some time in Australia. I'd love to hear, you know, one of the challenges I think for lawyers is we're barred in a certain jurisdiction and we only know American law. And I'm always curious to hear people who 
tried something different and particularly tried it abroad. So how did that come about? And maybe did you learn any lessons from that experience for your professional life? Definitely. So I, at the time, um, we, so we left Atlanta and where I live now, we were back in Kentucky. I was working for KFC as you do. When you're in Kentucky, sure. When you're in Kentucky, it was great. There's nothing like it being more socially acceptable to eat your feelings on a daily basis with anything. You know, Yum has Taco Bell, KFC, and, and Pizza Hut. It was amazing. Legal right next to marketing. We got to try the new product. So, but I, I just moved into the leadership level there professionally. It was really fire and all cylinders, cylinders. My husband had worked from home for years and years and years. He had the opportunity with his job to go to Australia, work in the office, lead a big regional team. And first we said, yep, absolutely, we'll do it because it just sounded so appealing and we'll figure things out. That figure things out was incredibly complex. And so my lesson I will tell people is if something sounds appealing to you and you want to do it, don't dwell on it too much because you'll talk yourself out of it. Say yes and work into it. There's going to be times that you you really hate that yes self of yours because, I mean, all the logistics of it from packing up our house in Kentucky to moving around the world and so I had to find a new job and, and I have great, great still to this day relationships with all my team, all my team at Yum, but I had to find a new job and it was humbling and not in the, like, I want an Oscar sense, like in the, I was applying for like administrative assistant job, like anything, anything crickets. And I was on the phone with an executive recruiter in Australia and they said, well, you know, and I said, well, I can't practice in Australia because I Googled, I, I became a real expert in Googling. I can't practice, but I want to do HR. I was on a CPO kind of path at, at Yum as it was. And so he said, well, if you come to Australia and you say I'm a lawyer, but I don't want to be a lawyer and do HR, people assume something's wrong with you because they don't think as creatively as you Americans do. And I cried in my car because I thought, what have I done to my career? But as things work out, the universe tends to work. And a prior company had spun, spun off from a management agreement. I joined them. And that's when I actually became a GC for the first time abroad. And so I was working. So I, I did it from my, my house. I started work at 4.30 in the morning, generally Tuesday through Saturday. So I had to make the hour shift. That being said, I was done at three in the afternoon and would go meet my mom friends in the park with my kids and champagne, dealt with mom life and all those things. But so I had a lot of people didn't know I lived in Australia. I would kind of try to hide it on the why. But I had like an Atlanta area Zoom code. I would do all those things. Um, and it was a na national company anyway. But I'd say it was an amazing experience. The friendships we made, the way of life, the Australian way of life carries through in everything I do to this day. But the logistics of anything like that are, are incredibly challenging. As a lawyer, there were some loopholes that made, made it easier, especially because I was in-house. I, I think it probably would be a bit more challenging in a pri private firm. But if I Googled, maybe I would be told otherwise. But I do think saying yes to adventures like that and figuring it out, I think, is, is, is wise. Would you do it again? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Talked about, well, I mean, not now because now we're settled. Our kids are older. But at some point, we've gone back to visit. Um, our friends have come here to visit, and it really put a, a travel bug in me, which uh, I didn't think I would have from the travels when I was a kid, kind of sitting in the back of a station wagon, driving from Kentucky to, to wherever. And so it really created a whole, a whole new mindset, and I can't recommend it enough. And I guess the other question I have about that is, when you're trying to make that big decision that has both professional implications and family implications, and I guess professional implications for your spouse, I think that happens. I mean, that happens a lot. It happens for two lawyer families. It happens for one lawyer families. How did you, or how, having gone through this, would you recommend a couple who has a, a few kids going through this process of taking a fairly big risk that has a big reward professionally for somebody, but has professional risk for the other person and also significant just logistical challenges? I think it's to ultimately think about, okay, you get to the end of your day. As lawyers in, in particular, we focus so much on our identity as a lawyer. Well, this is who I am. What am I going to be if I don't have this? I don't have these challenges. 
for whatever reason, I've been a bit more and more to cut through caution of the wind and assume things, things will kind of work out. But when I, when I was 24, my mother, who when, when, this is one of the reasons it spurred around to law school, she became very sick with leukemia. She was in the hospital for, the hospital for months. It, it really, at that point in time, the silver lining to that lesson, and she's been a survivor for 18 years, but it made me realize even more at a younger age of the things that truly matter in life. And sometimes it's those types of challenges or even losses that make you think about what it is. And I realized that my job really didn't identify me. And I, I had a job, an in-house job at KFC. Like, it's an amazing job. And I absolutely loved it. But I also loved this idea of having these adventures. And for my family, I knew that that would create these experiences, no matter how hard they would be. And I'm glad I didn't know how hard it would be <laughs> at the time. But the things that matter in life to me, as I sit back like on December 31st, I'm like, what did I do this year? Maybe this year, because it's actually been a pretty big year for me. It's been very different. But most of the time, I'm not thinking about what I did at my job. Oh, I took this trip. Oh, I had this fun with my friends. And so as I make decisions, or I did this with my kids, if you prioritize those things and think about what the output of that will be on December 31st, or you know, God forbid, you're older in life and reflecting on your life, to me, if you lead with those, things will fall into place. I mean, financially, it was one of the worst things I could have done because where I was professionally when we were leaving Kentucky, and I, I gave a lot of those benefits up, but I, I wouldn't have traded that for a second. You always kind of figure it out, even if you don't save as much in your, in your 401k for a few years. <laughs> totally. And I think people may be considering taking more of these leaps now that we've, we're, I never use the word post-pandemic, but whatever, whatever phase we are in now, where we've basically learned to deal with people remotely. I mean, this is like interview 80-something of my podcast, and I've never interviewed somebody in person. I have a lot of friends who are at new jobs who've never met their boss in person. One benefit of that is it lets you take adventures without necessarily leaving everything behind. But one of the challenges I imagine as an HR legal professional is that creates a whole host of other issues. Is that something that you've been thinking a little bit about? And, and where are we going in that sort of world? Well, it is. I mean, the when I put on my HR lawyer, like, Ashley, you know, Ashley person, live your adventure hat is, is there. I'll put on my HR lawyer hat is it is incredibly difficult for organizations to have a bunch of remote employees. And a lot of organizations are, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. They have people all over the place. And so right now, and a lot of these government agencies between the federal DOL, state agencies are, you know, kind of catching up after the fact. And a lot, I think, are going through these challenges where they realize like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize this person's in California. They haven't been making the minimum, you know, whatever. Wait, the, who moved to Costa Rica last year? What are you talking about? Because things don't come up until they do. And so there are a lot of logistical challenges. The cool part to that is I do think there's a lot of innovation that's happened with like service providers or technology to help to automate that. So I do think it's very important for organizations to make that investment in whatever that looks like for them to get that compliance aspect right. Because your HR and your payroll teams, it can be incredibly overwhelming. And frequently, someone will say, oh, I like this person. We're going to let them move to um, Wisconsin. You know, that's, that's great. That can add even hours, hours a week to your payroll person's day. And so outsourcing and providing that support to have a team that functions is really important because it's logistically, I've done a few posts on this. I have clients that reach out and say, what states should we not allow people in? I will give you some sliding scale options on that. I said, remote employers really... You just need to be mindful that that there are a lot of things that come up. And so having that support is going to be really needed. And it sounds like from a purely tactical point of view, it means that employment lawyers are going to be uh, in business the next few years, right? Yes. I mean, at, between that and I, I learned having started in 2008 in a recession plus a new Democratic president, 
both, even though management side employment firms tend to be more conservative, especially maybe here in the South, those both tend to be sadly a boon for employment lawyers because uh, Democratic presidents, like you're seeing now, they tend to invest more in the EEOC and funding those NLRBs is having more actions. And so it's this kind of interesting sway back and forth. But yes, between that and all of the remote workers all over the place, employment lawyers are, are doing okay. Yeah. Well, look, I want to talk about the other pillar of your uh, professional life that you gave me, which is is content creator, which I think is becoming more and more common. I mean, I'm a law professor who also creates content, so uh, I'm part of the team. Tell me about your decision. Honestly, I just want to know, what made you decide to do HR videos on TikTok? Well, I did some, I, not on my not on my current channel, a very private channel I'd done with my kids, like video, like even b- before COVID, like I'd go on a wine trip with my, my, with my like CFO and HR director at work and we'd like make a, I'd do one to like National Lampoon's vacation video. Like I, I was ahead of my time in some ways in that. But beginning, literally the beginning of the year, I was more because I have, I have a federal trademark for manager method and I was trying to really use that trademark. So I do still have my, my legal Ashley hat, <laughs> but, um, I think I'd, you know, heard more and more of how you can use it. And I hadn't really looked into HR TikTok. I'd basically just seen my, my, da- my daughter and her friends, um, and made sure everything was, was all, all cool there. But I thought about starting to make these videos and role plays because sometimes there's things you've seen and you're like, oh, or you have the same conversation over and over with someone about like sick leave or contractor versus employee. And so I just started making these and it was very trial and error. At the beginning, I mean, I think I was so delighted when I had a hundred views. There's a hundred, hundred people out there, or maybe my, my mom's watching it a hundred times, maybe. And it kind of started from, from there. And so I got into this thing where I was making videos and would have music, music behind it and have these captions. But on TikTok, there's this funny thing where if you do these kind of do it yourself captions, as you upload it, at least one out of every five videos, a caption gets bigger. It's just as part of it. It looks fine when you do it, but it gets bigger. And so I'd have these comments of people that are like, hey, idiot, learn to edit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I promise this isn't. And other people would be like, no, it's a TikTok thing. And so I ended up shifting in July to do a a different format where I kind of do these like, hey, Luke calls with this pretend bad boss who, you know, people like, why is he still there? Um, He's the CEO. He's a nephew of a board member. Got to be, you know, got to be something. But so I do these calls and I was using my own voice and, and I, and I thought people hadn't heard that before. And it just started to take off. I mean, middle of July, I think I had 12,000 followers, which I was again, like amazed by that's 12 times more people than we had at center college when I was there. But then it kind of hit and I grew to a hundred thousand followers within a few weeks. And, and it just, I know I literally can't tell you any exact reason why, but it kind of hit like that. And it's, it stayed steady from there. And what I saw was a lot of it resonating with HR professionals like, oh my God, I have this all the time. Or people are like, oh, sometimes I think I'm a Luke. I'm like, no, it's okay. We all have been there sometimes. It's been a lot of fun. And I, I've made some really close actual friends that are fellows in the community. And is it something that you, like, how do you balance that with your professional life? Like, I think about this a lot with my use of social media also is people ask me like, is your use of social media part of your job? And I think for me, the answer is yes. I mean, I also like tweet about things my kids do and I, you know, but I I spend a lot of time talking about what it's like to be a legal practitioner, which is what I get paid to do in my day job. Like, how do you balance that like business leader hat with content creator hat? And how do those two things either come into conflict or mesh nicely? Well, for lawyer, Ashley, every company I do work with knows, and some have, have found me because of my social media. I'm like, well, I really am impressed that you, you watch that. And people think, because some people will say, like, are you bashing companies? And I, I say, no, my point of all of it is 
in any company, I think there's, I, I never have any stats for this, but like, let's say 10% of managers that are awesome, just totally cruising and like amazing. Let's say there's 10% of managers that are awful people and should not be in management somehow have been there and stay there and like cannot be helped aside from being shown the door. But I think there's this huge group of managers that just don't have training. They don't, they're not awareness of things. And so a lot of companies it's actually resonated with. So from a legal perspective, I tell people when I'm giving legal advice, like as jokey as I can be in these videos, like I, I'm pretty serious and, and I take really seriously representation of clients. And, and as you're thinking through challenges, like, like a layoff, but a lot of what I'll bring is that human approach. And I say, that's very important to me. So if a company just more, wants more black and black advice, I'd say, I'm probably not for you, but I can tell you some law firms to go to that you're going you're to get what you need. But for what I do with a lot of the training, why that's resonated, I think is because I mean, I make videos where like employee training is the worst. Like think about how many people you're on and like everyone's camera off, zoom off. It's a check the box exercise, which is fine if you want to have your legal compliance, but it's not going to move the needle when you have, or if all your training is like talking about like, oh, you can't go naked to a holiday party. Like what? Oh, everyone knows that already. <laughs> but when you talk about things about like how you asking someone like making fun of how they pronounce their name or being disparaging about what religious holidays they may take off. Those are some of those, some people call them microaggressions. I'll just call them, you know, things that need to change in the workplace that people aren't always aware of how that comes off. And so that's the aspect that I actually think really resonates. And at the end of the day, what I do, I, my whole North Star is to make people think differently and act differently, even if it's in small ways. And as I do training, that resonates with people and I stick with that. And there's gonna, there's people on TikTok I am not for. Okay, that's fine, no worries. I prefer that they don't look or they block me as opposed to some of the comments because those do get to you at times. Some of the more negative uh, negative comments, but but that's fine. It comes with the territory. And the other is companies that don't want that. That's fine. Then there's plenty of other places to work as well. And so it's really worked for me to be who I am. And I tell people I'll be super responsive, be responsive, but more as I'll think through advice. And so hopefully you see the genuine nature of when that comes through on, on my on my TikToks. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the challenges and the bad comments that come with the good comments, especially as your audience increases, right? The denominator of potential people who don't like what you say, don't like your advice. You chose one word. You should have chosen a different word. Like, how do you deal with all of that? I mean, that is pretty quickly evolved because 100%. I mean, I I did not get so many until until recently, and then I started to get a lot. And there's some that are like HR is evil. And I've, again, I, I'll, I'll, and I'll comment sometimes to those and say, that tells me you've had a really bad experience and I'm never going to argue with you on that. And again, still some people are like, I hate you. And every once in a while, if someone's really concerning, I'll, I'll, I'll block. And I think that's fine because it's it's not worth my headspace. But sometimes when people have a comment or, or someone will say, I really don't like this creator. She keeps showing up on my page. I find her very annoying. And I'll comment and I'll say, well, I'm not sure if you're, or I'll, actually I won't because I, I won't say that aspect. I'm not sarcastic. I say to the person, you know, you took time. This isn't, this isn't a comment section. This is my page. And, and I see that. And I'm not sure all of my videos are designed to help people work better and treat each other better at work. So I'm not sure why you would take the time to try to bring me down, but th that's the effect. And I, I'd ask next time for you or for anybody else that you you scroll on or you block if you don't want to see me anymore, but taking the time to bring someone down. So half the time people are like, you know what? I apologize. I shouldn't have done that. Or I just move past it. But still from time to time, there is that toll. Or now like I'll, I'll take generally on the weekends, I'll take pretty much a break from social media just so I'm not thinking about it. Yeah. And I, I'm sure other lawyers and other people have reached out to you and said like, Hey, I want to do what you do for fill in the blank. First question is like, is that where we're going as, as a profession? And second, like, what do you say to those people? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you have like, like Alex Sue, Matt, Margo Matt, Matt Margolis, both of them, like phenomenal content. And obviously they're in the vein of like community development and, you know, they're, 
they're in different niches. But I still think you have lawyers like Lawyer Amanda, I think Lawyer Page, people I don't, there's, there's a number of them. I do think you're having that. You have to be careful because all the time, the comments I'll get are, how do I handle this situation? And I'll have things, everyone's so I'll do videos and I'm like, look, and I'll say, I can't give you advice. Nobody on TikTok is going to give you, or should be giving you legal advice, but I'm certainly not. And so I can't give you that individually. Generally find an employment lawyer in your jurisdiction. And I'm pretty clear about that. And so I do think lawyers have, have that unique aspect. I'm sure doctors get the same of like, what is this? It is. I mean, I think if, if you people have, I tell people, you have a unique perspective, then bring it. There are probably, I don't know how many HR TikTok creators. And I don't, so I put myself in HR TikTok because I don't want to be legal HR TikTok. You know, that's, it's kind of two things. Every once in a while, I'll talk about the law. I try to keep things within a realm. My husband had a laugh because he's like, you really, you know, really think about your topics and things like that. And I was like, okay, about 30 minutes after we had that conversation, I made a video where I compared being a summer associate program meets Bridgerton. Um, and he, <laughs> and he was laughing. He's like, how does that go along with what you do? I was like, I just thought it would be funny. <laughs> I, I do stand up comedy and things like that. And so I, I do enjoy that kind of aspect. And so every once in a while, I, I throw these things in. But I, I, and that's why I think it's important for a lot of, a lot of lawyers, like having that, having your unique perspective, it can help you bring clients. It also can help you just have a different perspective. Like, cause also, like I said, a lot of the community people I've met a couple like lawyer, lawyer TikToks, but some of these HR TikToks, we like, we chat, we message each other, we, we zoom. And it really is kind of cool to build that, to build that community outside of your, your normal world. But as lawyers, you do have to be a bit careful. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think there are definitely obviously downsides to all of these connections, but one of the cool parts about the internet is you can find your niche and your people, even if they don't happen to live in your location or go to the school that your kids school that your kids go to. And, you know, I think it's a great thing. I guess my concern as a law professor is like, when in your career are you ready to be on TikTok talking about your professional life? I do think there's a tension there of everyone has something to say, but sometimes it's okay to wait to say it. What do you think about that? I, I agree. And I think sometimes people will make this choice. And it's the same thing about what kind of content you put out there. And and I say to people, you, you know, you want to do anything, there have to be consequences. The content I put out there, there are companies that would think, oh, I don't like that. I, I wouldn't want to work there. I want to work with someone who's more behind the scenes. And I get that. I'm And, and I've chosen that for myself. I also don't, I, I try not to be controversial. I try to raise awareness, but like I, I, I try to be positive on all those things. There's some people like, like law students, like there's some law student channels or things like that. And, and I think it's helpful. I think it's really helpful for people to get some. I think junior associates, I do think it's helpful to like shine a light. But I think people have to be aware because if you're in law school and you're going through that, there are going to be firms that are like, that is a no-go. And a lot of people may say, well, that's fine. I wouldn't want to work there anywhere. And that's that's great. So figure that out. But know that your your little Venn diagram of where you might might work is going to get narrower when you choose to create a public persona for yourself. And I think especially, I, I've been practicing, I, I worked, I've been practicing, I'm, I'm over 40. I still get affected by some of these things, these comments. And I talk to a very senior executive I'm friends with who's who's older than me, who t- we we text each other and are like, okay, well, take a little break. Like, don't worry about that. And, and we pep each other up. If I was a law student going through some of those stresses or as a junior associate, there's a lot of mental health challenges and people don't always recognize it as mental health. When you're putting yourself online and have a persona, I, I do think it can be a lot to carry. And so people need to be mindful of that. And so I do think at times knowing what some of those repercussions can be. And it can be hard to step away from that because I have seen creators start a channel, they get big and then they they shut it all down because it's it's a lot to take in. And so I think recognizing that can limit your career cha- chances, do with that what you will, but also there are mental health and time components to it as well. 
because you may, if you're posting things, no, just like when you're on vacation and you post Instagram and somebody at work is like, can you answer this? Cause I see that you're on, you have your phone, you know, all of that. So you may get the people that are like, well, if you have time for social media, you should have time to bill 30 more, 30 more minutes a day. And so just thinking through all of that, I am glad that this type of social media was, was not as much around. Um, cause I'm sure it's pretty tempting to do when, especially when you're, when you're going through that, but I'm glad I, I, I waited till I was in my, uh, protected class years. <laughs> well, I, I think that's really helpful to hear. And I will just say, having only found you through your videos and not being an HR professional at all, I found them and I was drawn to them for the same reason that I think you create. And first of all, you're an incredible storyteller in that genre, which maybe that's because of your standup and your, you know, your playwriting experience. But also, it really is about the human part of your profession and like everybody can benefit from that. Like I don't have any employees, but I benefit from it because it lets me think like, how do I talk to that person on the phone whose company has just screwed me over and kept me on the line for two hours and I'm frustrated. And like, I forget that there's a human being on the other side. And I don't know, I feel like all of your videos remind that there's a human being on the other side. So I know it's hard putting yourself out there and we're, we're greatly appreciative of it. So thank you for that. Thank you. I, I, I do appreciate that. And I, I, again, I tell people all the time, you no obligation to ever go and be like, oh, fluff up. I appreciate it. But when people take the time to say things like that or watch, like it means so much. And so now I try, when I see like content creators, if I don't know them, I'm like, oh, I love your stuff. Or this was really, this is really cool because I, I know those can be fewer and far between than, than everything else. And so I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, look, we're getting towards the end of our time. And so I always end our, end these conversations by asking for a piece of advice. So you talked about being in your protected class years. I'm curious, what's your piece of advice for for people who are not there yet and, or maybe something you just wish you knew earlier on? I do think the idea of finding your voice and what that means is really thinking about how you can get your point across in a way that others will hear you. And so finding your voice can mean shifting that voice a bit based on who you're talking to, but it shouldn't mean becoming a fake version of yourself. So whether you're a punk rocker at a big law firm, if you start opening up and and having some of that, you're going to find a partner that went to Burning Man that has, you know, these experiences. And so I think opening up and showing that or thinking about who you're talking to and thinking about clients and things like that as people on the other end and relating to them as people and, and finding the ways you can have those conversations is something that that I've, I wish I'd done earlier. I always feel like I've been a very authentic person, but I, I think it's really important. And um, I, I know you teach that, Jonah. So I know your students are appreciative. Well, I do try. And I think hearing people's stories helps helps socialize that and make that a part of it and their professional stories and their personal stories and how those two really aren't separate stories. So I think that's, that's fantastic advice. So I guess the last question is where can people find you uh, if they want to learn more about what you do on the business side or just want to watch your awesome videos? Absolutely. So I'm at manager method on TikTok. just trademarked, right? TM. It is trademark TM, TM and www.managermethod.com or find me on LinkedIn as Ashley Hurd. H-E-R-D, as opposed to the seven other ways that people tend to spell it. So (laughs) come find me in one or any of all of those. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Ashley, and uh, best of luck. I can't wait to to check in when you're at over a million followers. Not that you're doing it for the followers, but it'll happen. I'm confident. Thank you. It's so glad to be here. I love, love your podcast, Jonah. Thanks a lot. Again, I'm Jonah Perlin, and this is the How I Lawyer podcast. Thanks to podcast sponsor Law Pods for their expert editing. If you're a lawyer considering starting your own podcast, definitely check them out at lawpods.com. And thanks to you for listening. 
If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you'll consider sharing it with friends and colleagues or on social media. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please sign up for the email list at howilawyer.com or subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, if you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for the show, please reach out to me at howilawyer at gmail.com or at Jonah Perlin on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. 